What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. We're back in the midweek groove. It's Wednesday. It's September 20th. It's episode 207, and it is Cincinnati week. Ryan Chapman is in more. I'm in John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. And uh, we are closer and closer. I'm getting nervous, Ryan, about our first airplane flight since last year's bowl game, which was an abject disaster. I'm getting a little nervous that I'm going to forget something or I'm going to not check in or, I mean, we leave at like 530 in the morning. So that means an early check in on Thursday, which is tomorrow, which is less, it's like 12 hours from now. It's like 16 hours from now. I'm, I don't know why, Ryan, I'm an old guy. I've done this a lot, but I'm nervous about traveling. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. I, uh, well, our last trip went, I'm not going to say the phrase as poorly as possible, (laughs) Because I do not want to open the door for Trip from Hell Part 2. But if you don't remember, it was in the middle of the Southwest Meltdown at Christmas. Uh, When Josh and I arrived, our room was dirty. So we had to like, like, we were like, we are not sleeping in this room. So we got optioned into the only other room, which was a king size single that Josh and I had to uh, split the bed. And then after the game, your car died in the parking lot, which meant we didn't get to go back and actually, like, sleep at all. And I finished my final story at, like, 5 a.m. in the Orlando airport running on fumes. And, like, Josh, you've got to read this because I'm not sure I spoke the English in this story. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, the last trip travel-wise was terrible. So I'm hoping that maybe this is a bounce back, a get-right spot. It was not the best. So maybe that's why I'm a little so nervous because my flight got canceled and I had to drive the whole thing. Hey, 12 hours to Cincinnati would be a heck of a lot better than 17 hours to Orlando. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Uh, don't expect any cancellations. And we know the car battery is good because you've had to have that checked up on recently. Yeah. If I would quit leaving the dome light on, maybe it would uh, stop draining. Simple, simple fix. Simple solution for Hoover to uh, not have a broken car. Man, yeah, Orlando seems a million years away. Let's push that to the side. Let's push it far back in the deep, dark recesses of our subconscious and never talk of it again. Cincinnati this week. Interesting. That's a Big 12 conference game. Ryan, did you know Cincinnati was in the Big 12? What? This, This just feels weird to me. I mean, I've been to Cincinnati for a football game back in 2010. Um... And I've been on every one of those since 2004, every one of those Joe Castiglione non-conference premier specials. You know, I've been to every one of those, Tennessee, Ohio State, you name it. That's what this kind of feels like to me is that one game a year where you go on the road to someplace new. No, bro, this is a conference game. How cool is that? Yeah, I I was talking this morning with um, Eddie and Dylan over on the franchise about how, like, for Oklahoma State, these game weeks for the newbies is going to feel a lot different than for Oklahoma. For Oklahoma State, it's the the first game of what will become a not yearly guaranteed, but a very, very regular conference matchup. Whereas for Oklahoma, this is like you had that substitute teacher come in and all they're doing is assigning you a worksheet. <laughs> and so it's like if the sub is cool, then you're like, that was great. And we're going to really enjoy this day because I'm probably never going to see this person again. And if the sub ends up being awful, you're just like, you just got to get through the next 40 minutes till that bell rings because it's a sub and I'm never going to see them again. That's what this is like. This is not a Big 12 game. It's a Big 12 game in name only. The new Big 12 is not the Big 12. It's some new thing. I imagine it'll get rebranded. 
And Oklahoma's headed to the SEC, which feels equally odd at times. But uh, Oklahoma yeah. and Cincinnati in a conference game, it's a one-off. And I'll say the same thing about UCF and the same thing about BYU. These are not conference games other than when you tally it in the standings. Feels like a placeholder, doesn't it? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, like, like a temporary fix. Yeah. Uh, and that's too bad because I'd like to make a regular, a regular thing out of going to Cincinnati. I've been to Cincinnati a lot. Really enjoy the food. Really enjoy the people there. Um, have never been to Provo, Utah. I've been to the airport a couple of times in Salt Lake, but never, you know, up, out and around the town. So that's going to be fun when we get there in November. But first things first, let's wrap up the Tulsa game. Oklahoma jumps out on Tulsa 28 nothing. It was not a game, which surprised me. I thought Kevin Wilson... I thought of rebuilding TU, you know, new culture. I thought this was going to be something that uh, a little bit of early staying power. They were in over their heads. Uh, they played the wrong quarterback. Um, I saw what Kevin Wilson said about why, you know, he plays Roman Fuller over Cardell Williams. Probably wishes he'd gone the other direction right now. I don't know. But, um, you know, some early interceptions, some early takeaways by the Oklahoma defense, some early long passes by the Oklahoma offense. And next thing you know, that thing's 66-17, and, and uh, they're not even it, – it was easier than it looked, Ryan. Yeah, I, I think my biggest surprise was not that it was lopsided or anything because Montgomery didn't leave that Tulsa program in a great spot for Kevin Wilson. Uh, they need to beat a dead horse, but turn your back on the – talent in Tulsa is an egregious thing to do for any head coach at Tulsa and Kevin Wilson's not going to do that but I, I think the most surprising thing and it's something that Brentman was asked about on Tuesday because we'll preview this talking about the the defensive line for Cincinnati but it was a do you want to be a team that takes what the other team gives you or that like asserts your will yeah. and Brent said you're never going to like turn a blind eye to what the matchups are but you the best teams can come in and say this is what we do. And I thought that Oklahoma was going to come in to that Tulsa game and say, we want to run the ball. And as a result, yep. I thought it was going to shorten the game a little bit. That's not what Oklahoma did. Oklahoma said, we've got Dylan Gabriel, who's one of the most efficient passers in the country through three games. And Tulsa's pass defense is not good. We want to shred through the air. And that's what Oklahoma did. The pass protection was great outside of a play ended up in an interception and uh, Dylan Gabriel had all the time to be that efficient guy. You saw a bunch of breakout games for wide receivers, all of that. And so Oklahoma did what it was supposed to do in the non-conference. It made two way inferior opponents look hapless. That's what good teams do. And we'll find out a lot more about SMU this weekend. They take on TCU at 11. Uh, if SMU can give them a game, then you feel a little bit better about conservative game plan plus a good SMU team. That's why you still won by 17, but it was 14-11 in the fourth quarter. I think that one's a game that we're going to have to have some hindsight to kind of know what that situation was to, to put a bow in OU's non-conference. Yeah, when, I, when Brent said that about you like to assert yourself uh, in terms of taking what you want, going in with a game plan and asserting what you want to do, the first thing I thought of was Alabama and all those big running backs they have and all those, you know, Heisman contender quarterbacks they had. And, uh, and I'm thinking offensively, of course, but de defensively Alabama just for a decade and a half did whatever it wanted, but offensively they evolved and they changed and they tempoed and they did this and they did that, but it was always pretty much the same thing. I don't, I, I can you imagine if someone would have asked Nick Saban at some point, Hey coach, uh, did you think about taking what the defense gave you there? 
that's not how Nick Saban operates. When uh, Clemson, Brent was at Clemson with Deshaun and uh, and uh, Trevor Lawrence, they didn't walk around asking what the defense wanted them to do. They took what was there and they, of course, the easy stuff, but they had a game plan and they had, you know, uh, first round draft picks and they had guys who were better than the guys across from them. And that's what, that's where Brent's trying to get to. He's trying to get to that, you know, having five receivers on the team who could go for a hundred yards at any minute. And we saw that last week with we three guys over a hundred yards. We we've been covering, I've been covering OU a long time. Never guess what? Haven't seen that since 2012. Um, you got a guy with the hundred yard kick return, a hundred yard receiving. That's never happened in OU history. All of a sudden, you're starting to see. I know it's Tulsa. Don't get too excited, but you're starting to see a little bit of that kind of puffy chest, you know, doubled fist, square jaw. We do what we want. We're Oklahoma. We'll see if that translates into uh, into conference play especially going on the road starting this week. Um, we'll see how good, uh, how, you know, how Cincinnati coming off a loss, coming off a very disappointing loss. They're two and one on the season, but we'll see how they can hang with that kind of mentality from Oklahoma. And it'll be really interesting too, because what is the one thing that Brent Venables led big 12 media day with at the podium? And then in the breakout defensively need to cut that yards per carry in half, right? Oklahoma was at four plus last year. Need to be closer yeah. to two. That's championship level. Did that through the non-conference. Cincinnati, a top 10 rushing team coming in. So, got yeah, a, a top running back plus Emory Jones who can hurt you on the ground. If Oklahoma wants to assert themselves, they'll bottle up Cincinnati's run game. You flip that over through three weeks. What has Oklahoma done? They've aired it out, attacked deep, score from far, the Jeff Levy thing. That That's what they've wanted to do. Great defensive line, tied for 16th in the country in sacks with 10 sacks coming in. Is Oklahoma going to be able to protect Dylan Gabriel and give him all the time to score from far and all that stuff? Because the running game still a work in progress. So I, I think it's a really interesting test. Overall, if Oklahoma has taken the step forward that, that Oklahoma wants to have taken, they should be able to mix it up and win some battles, lose some battles up front with the Cincy defensive line and still be okay to win this game. But I, I'm really interested to see. It should be a good progress tracker uh, for a lot of those things, when you talk about asserting yourself, what Oklahoma wants to do versus what Cincinnati's strengths are. Yeah, I agree. Um, Oklahoma's going to go into that game. They're going to want. They're going to say, "We want to establish the run. We want to quiet the crowd. We want you know ten play drives and things like that." It's not going to be that easy against that Cincinnati front. Uh, Cincinnati's going to get some three and outs. They're going to get some. Uh, they're going to create some havoc up front. They're going to bust. They're going to. They're going to cause some some busts on the blocking scheme. We've seen some busts on the blocking schemes against Tulsa and against Arkansas State, so you know Cincinnati's going to be eager to, to get in there and see what they can do. Let's talk about Dylan Gabriel real quick. Uh, talked to him on uh, Monday. He was 0-2 in his career against Tulsa. He is 0-2 in his career against Cincinnati. Took it out on Tulsa. Of course, he's got better players now than he did when he was at UCF. He's got better players now going to Cincinnati with Oklahoma on their on the side of their headline. Uh, side of their helmet than he did when he was with UCF. So he's got a good chance to break that streak for sure. But dude is, I think, leading the nation in completion percentage right now. Is he number one or number two at 82 and a half percent? His QBR is like 98, like a hundred is perfect. 
and nobody comes close to 100. He's at 98 through three games. He's playing at a new, an entirely new level right now. Ryan, can he keep that up at Cincinnati? Yeah, it'll be interesting. He's 0-2 against Cincinnati. He's 0-1 against former Louisville defensive coordinator Brian Brown, who made the trek over with Satterfield to Cincy. So it's a weird thing of you've got the history against Cincinnati, and you also have a game against the the tenets, the tent poles of this Cincinnati coaching staff that obviously came over from Louisville. Uh, my question for Dylan Gabriel is going to be this. You might have a true freshman starting at left guard. Caden Green made that move over against Tulsa. Yeah. Savion Bird, Brent Venables said hopeful. Sounds like a, a head injury situation. So that's not in anyone's hands other than if you if that's the case, you test out of protocol, stuff like that. You bet that Cincinnati's going to say, let's test that left guard. So one thing we haven't seen Gabriel have to do, which is not a knock on Gabriel, is his, his pocket's been clean most of the year. And so he's been able to be very fast through his progressions, efficient, all that. Will Oklahoma be able to keep that up? Will they continue to be great in pass protection? Cincinnati's going to have some success. That's what I'm looking forward to most to see. If Gabriel, on those plays where things break down, is that where he can still excel? We didn't see that from him last year, and we haven't really had a chance to see it this year because Oklahoma's been so clean for the most part in the pass protection game. So, I think he should be able to continue that. He looks like a different guy. But I think much like we talk about the team as a whole, that until they go out there and win a couple of Big 12 games to start the year, it would kind of be almost foolish based off what happened last year to, to just sprint out and be like, this team is totally different. We know that. don't think yeah. we know that. I also don't think we know that Gabriel is going to be totally different in those big high leverage situations, whether it be – Dante Corleone chased him down or like a third and long against a living, breathing, actual defense, which Oklahoma hasn't played yet. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Um, the, 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 I guess, lack of running game for the Oklahoma offense. Uh, how concerning is that? Especially what we just talked about Dante Corleone, Jawan Briggs, guys that are, proven run stoppers, guys that are, are shop wreckers. Um, they're, they're probably at some point looking at a freshman on the offensive line or looking at instability at left guard or looking at, you know, a little inexperience here and there. And they're probably saying, this is going to be awesome. This is, this is our big chance. This is our chance to break out. We got Brett Yormark in town. Uh, we got the big 12 homecoming celebration, 11 AM coming off a big noon kickoff. Uh, first ever big 12 conference game on and on and on. These guys kind of control they, – they're like the, the maybe the blackjack dealers. They kind of control the cards right now, don't they? Yeah, and, and the interesting thing too is, okay, if you talk about uncertainty on the offensive line, there's also zero running backs that are in rhythm right now to help yeah. turn that tide in the first quarter while a green or a Troy Everett gets adjusted. Uh, Tawi Walker felt like the only guy that found any rhythm against SMU, and he was basically iced against Tulsa, just not used at all. Javante Barnes, I thought he was fine. I, I'm just curious to see, okay, I have no faith that right now, the way the rotation's gone, that Javante Barnes is going to get the chance to build off of his a little bit of success against Tulsa. He just wasn't really used at all against SMU. And so I am a bit concerned with that just because Oklahoma has not gotten themselves into a real rhythm outside of the second half with Tawi Walker against SMU. And and this is not the defensive line to go up against if you don't have a running game that's in rhythm and you're trying to figure things out. 
Yeah, Ryan, uh, Cincinnati's a team, too, don't forget, that recently produced a couple of uh, NFL uh, draft picks at the cornerback position. So while those guys are not there, the, the that talent, those, those two dudes are in the NFL now. That imprint, that DNA, as OU likes to say, is – is kind of set for here's how uh, Cincinnati cornerbacks play college football. Here's the level at which you're, you're expected to be. Right. So um, I don't know. Uh, you're going to have to, to me, you're going to have to get a um, really hyper-focused effort out of somebody with experience like a Drake Stoops or a Jalil Farouk. We had a good story uh, this afternoon on, on uh, Jalil Farouk and his ability to, to break down defenses, see that see the defenses unfold like a running back, and make cuts and make really mature moves, really mature decisions with the football in his hand. Even though he fumbled that kickoff at the Tulsa game, I think this is going to be a game where your more experienced players on the perimeter, especially your more experienced players, are the guys you're going to have to rely on. Yeah, and that's another situation, Hoove, where even if you're not talking about the experienced guys on the perimeter. You thought that there was some depth to help those guys along against Arkansas State, and then we really only saw Farouk, Stoops, Freeman. Like, we only saw the experienced guys against SMU. Yeah. Bunch of breakout performances, you think, with Andrew Anthony and Nick Anderson alongside Farouk against uh, Tulsa. Let's see. Is Andrew Anthony going to be able to be a factor to help stretch the field to help Farouk and Stoops work underneath? Or is it going to go back to kind of that shortened rotation of more conservative gameplay? I, I think there's a lot of unknowns head into this game which is why the message around drake stoops and those guys is they had meetings telling everyone we haven't proved anything yet remember you were three and oh through the non-conference last year how it turned out and then flipping over danny stutzman's done the same thing with the defense he was like guys great you want a cookie we went three and oh in the non-conference a lot of improvement to be made you're going to play actual teams no disrespect to everybody else all that stuff and, and, and that was kind of the message on Sunday and Monday as they were trying to put the Tulsa game to bed and turn the page to Cincinnati. Yeah, I want to break down the defense in the next segment, uh, and we'll get, to, we'll get to that because I saw something on my Sunday film review that I want to, want to ask you about um, that Brent Venables talked about Saturday, and I think he might have talked about it again on Tuesday. But, uh, you know, here I am saying uh, it's going to be a game where the, uh, the experienced receivers have to – step up and make mature plays. I mean, that sounds like a sound thing to say going into your first true road game, your first conference game and all that, right? You're stepping up in competition. But then you got a guy like Nick Anderson who just has gifts from Mount Olympus. And holy cats, uh, three catches, three touchdowns. <laughs> Still hasn't been tackled, Ryan. Still <laughs> hasn't been tackled. Get that man in the open field. Get him the football. And now suddenly – it's a group that coming into the year was the question mark. Okay, we've seen in back-to-back games, get the ball to Jill Farouk in the open field, running through arm tackles. Yeah. Nick Anderson getting behind defenses, running through arm tackles. Jaden Gibson had a really nice contested catch, a guy that the two times we had seen him, last year against TCU a drop, the spring game 2-1 conversion a drop. Now he's making a t- contested catch there. Uh, it'll be really interesting. But, yeah, Anderson clearly is a guy that like, he needs to be on the field. He needs to be in that rotation. The Titans have not been a real factor. Um, so unless they're in there to block and help out, I, right now I'd rather see Nick Anderson be a fourth pass catcher out there than either Austin Stogner or Blake Smith. Again, if they're not being used yeah. to either disguise things or block, which both of those guys I thought uh, Stogner and Blake Smith have been pretty good blocking-wise. Stogner uh, is a 
pretty solid tight end. Um, Gavin Freeman is a really good, everybody loves both those guys. Uh, really good um, gadget play, surprise, catch you off guard kind of guy. Neither one of those guys was born on Mount Olympus. Neither one of those guys has been endowed with superpowers like Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson have. And a quick, quick uh, thought on Jaden Gibson. He's might be, I'm not for sure about this, but just some early returns in his career when you're talking about the spring game and, and you're talking about this season, he might be one of those receivers that when you throw it up to them and make, they have to make a contested catch, they're better than when you tell them to run a six yard dig and get your hands up and catch it and then make a move. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like he needs that competition. He needs that extra line of focus, whatever it is that allows him to go grab that football. Uh, if it's gift wrapped and handed to him, he might not be as uh, laser focused. I don't know. Um, I've, we've seen it before, you know, super, super gifted guys like that. So the, the jazz Reynolds, as it's known about in Norman. That's a good one. I hadn't thought about that. Jazz Reynolds. It, he almost seemed jazz Reynolds. It was like one handed catches. No problem. When you got the second right. hand in there that it like screwed up his rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say that about every receiver. No. My old receivers coach, his favorite thing was two hands, Hoover, two hands. But we know Hoove is has a flair for the spectacular. So the one-handed grabs, plucking it out. Uh, Odell Beckham was just watching Hoove's high school film. Well, coming coming off of uh, coming off the Tulsa game, I think it's fair to say I was more of a Steve Largent type route runner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah than I was a downfield threat. Right? Uh, coaches love coaches love my route running. Put it that way. Hey, we're going to get into the defense, the Oklahoma defense against the Cincinnati offense here in a few minutes when we get back from this little timeout. Don't go anywhere. It's all coming up next on the All Sooners podcast. And we're back. If you're on Twitter, you can give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. You can find me at Johnny Hoover, John E. Hoover. Ryan is over at underscore Ryan Chapman. And uh, don't forget Ross at Ross Lovelace. Randall is at Randall Sweet 5, and Tim is at Tim Willert 2. We got all those dudes at practice, at games, um, contributing, writing, shooting videos, editing, doing all that stuff for you, where you can find their work and our work at uh, allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. So remember, All Sooners is all free. We do have premium signups, but you don't have to sign up and you don't have to pay anything. You don't have to submit an email or a password or a credit card to read everything you want at All Sooners. It is free. You love that, don't you? Okay, um, Ryan, let's talk Oklahoma's defense against the Cincinnati offense this week. I asked a question to Brent Venables uh, yesterday. How gratifying is it? And I asked... Um, Dylan Gabriel, this question as well from an offensive standpoint, but for Brent Venables, it was from a defensive standpoint. How gratifying is it to go into the offseason and say to your team, this is the area we need to work on? Third down defense stinks. Uh, we have to get better. We have to be better on third downs. Three games into the season, guess who's – is it number one in the country in third down defense conversion? Yeah. Right up, right up there. It's it's Brent. They're, they're, yeah, they're one of the top. They're one of the top for sure. So, um, Brent Venable said it's 
it's a sure it's um what what was the word he used now i can't remember assuring yeah it's it's gratifying has been a, a, a theme as well as reassuring to, to everything that they're doing yeah so that's something that oklahoma's defense has been just spectacular at uh is third down conversions third down getting off the field um i don't know ryan uh, what's, what's been better tackling has certainly been better, but, uh, but you can take it way beyond that. They're better in coverage. They're better pressuring. They're better. Uh, they're better all over the field. Yeah. Th- there's a big clump up at the top, as you'd expect with just three games played, but Oklahoma's tied for 21st or 21st all alone, allowing 30.4%. Uh, Utah's number two at 20%. Then Michigan state is number one. I think that will drop there for Sparty based off of everything that's happening, but Oklahoma is right there in the mix in the top 20, 21. And John, is it, is it too much of a cop out to just say they know what they're doing? Like, I, I know that they've said that before, but year two in the defense, you don't see guys confused. You don't see like, they're able to read and react on third downs now, as opposed to having to think, okay, what am I supposed to do yeah. with this call? What are we doing here? David Aguabe, are you in the right spot? Deshaun Wired, are you in the right spot? It's the defensive line in front. Like, that's the thought process that Danny Stutzman's having to go through last year. Now he's just like, okay, I can focus on trying to diagnose what I'm seeing in front of me from the offense and, and making plays. And the same group of guys are not playing every single third down because they have bodies they can roll through. So I think that is also a bit of why the tackling has improved is that it, you don't have guys having to chase down for four quarters. We've seen the secondary little snake bit with some minor injuries but it's made them make a bunch of changes all the way through and when we start to talk about corralling cincinnati's run game desan mccullough has played a quarter of football he hasn't even been a factor so far brent middle was confirmed monday night he's back he's going to be in this contest but it's been whether harrington at cheetah uh peyton bowen at cheetah kip lewis they've been able to move some guys around and still have those results and i think that's a testament to again just knowing what you're doing comfortability and and then the depth that they've built, they've talked about it all summer. Every coach feels like they've built competitive depth in the summer, usually and in the fall. You're seeing it through three games at Oklahoma, though, and I think it's helping in the crucial moments. Yeah. So uh, just to clarify for you guys, I screwed up. Um, my uh, question was to Brent Venables about the offense, not about the defense. The, the offense does rank number one in the nation. Number one in the nation in third down conversion, 67.6%. The defense, as Ryan said, ranks uh, 21st in the nation at 30%. The reason I get those confused is because OU was terrible at both last year, terrible at both offensive third down conversions and defensive third down conversions. And they both coaches, when we went into the offseason, when we went into spring football, when we went into August training camp, Ted Roof and Jeff Lebby both said we need to get better at third down conversions. We need to get better at third down conversions. So yeah, that's, that's why I'm getting my, uh, my, my wires crossed because it's, it's easy to sit there and say they were terrible at this last year and now they're really good. Okay. Slow down, tap the brakes. We've said this a hundred times in the preseason and in the off season, this schedule that Oklahoma is playing this year is Charmin soft very soft, painfully soft, like not going to help you soft when you get into big 12 play, not going to help you when you face Texas. So not going to help you when you get into championship November, 
part of that is what we're seeing right now. A soft schedule, bad teams, number one in the country, right? If they can continue this kind, and they don't have to be number one. We've said that a million times. If you can play solid defense and score some points, you're going to be a competitive team. Oklahoma's had trouble playing solid defense and scoring a lot of points at the same time. If this team can do that, then this number one ranking might carry over. It might actually mean something over the course of the season. Yeah, and and offensively too, they've been in. A, I think they've probably been in more third and longs than they would have yeah. liked two through three games. That's that's got to get corrected, and I think that starts with either a. Jeff Levy just saying our identity this year is throwing the football, so let Dylan Gabriel take to the skies on first and second down. It doesn't have to be big shots down the field. Like, just get seven yards on first down, then you can play with it. Uh, but, yeah, defensively, they've also done a really good job of, of corralling teams on first down. And so I think that's helped them out a lot. Uh, something that we, we've kind of written about, you wrote about the defensive line. It's Isaiah Coe had some some great quotes on the defensive line up at allsooners.com. But something I've been asking about a bit this week is, it really feels like, for me, I don't know if this pass rush is going to ever get labeled as overwhelming at any point this season. But because they have three platoons of guys where there's not yeah. really a huge talent drop-off against tired and bad Big 12 offensive lines, which they're going to play a ton of this year, I really think in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma might be able to flip that trend of not being able to close last year because this year it feels like whether it's the interior or the guys on the edge – the Sooners have enough bodies that they can simply wear teams down. And then suddenly in the fourth quarter, you have a fresh PJ out of war, a rushing the passer. What come again? There's, there might be one team in the conference that can block him. And that's Texas athletically. Uh, everyone else can have to do it off scheme. And he's your fourth quarter option so far. Like, no, thank you. If I'm a, if I'm a left tackle, that's gassed. And suddenly you have predator lining up across me. That's not great. Not great, Bob. So, it's one of those things where, yeah, we talked about it. This, if the schedule ends up being as bad as we thought it was in the preseason, and I've seen nothing through Big 12 play that I don't think there's many good teams in this conference at all. I don't even know if Oklahoma's a, a great team. Uh, this could be a 10-win ten team with no real wins over good teams. But you know what? You know what great teams do, John? They embarrass awful football teams. Yeah. Oklahoma's played two awful football teams, and they've embarrassed two of them, two out of two. Not sure even Texas is great this year because we'll look at Alabama all of a sudden, right? Wait a minute. Texas beat Alabama. Yeah, but what's Alabama now? I'm just saying. That kind of ticked me off a little bit when Texas played Alabama and you start to see and, and identify who's who and what's what. And then the following week you're like, really? Wyoming? Really? South Alabama or uh, South Florida? And also uh, also really South Alabama. Not for Texas South and Alabama. South Florida, but... By proxy. We <laughs> to say South Alabama by proxy. What a whooping that was. What an embarrassment. Uh, to your point, Ryan, OU is uh, number one in the nation in third down percentage, third down conversion percentage on offense. Uh, number two in the nation in team passing efficiency. So good on Dylan Gabriel. Number seven. In, no, number three in scoring offense, number seven in passing offense, number eight in total offense, number five in scoring defense, number four in turnover margin. You see, you got all these top fives and top tens, uh, number five in the nation in first downs. So that's, a, you know, that's great. That's definite progress that Oklahoma is showing. Uh, the players are playing better. 
I think they have better players this year than they had last year. The culture is changing. But let's not try to hide the fact that this is one of the easiest schedules in all of major college football. Uh, we talk about the Power 5 level for sure. They're doing it. They're doing what you said. You've got a bad team in front of you. Go whip their ass. And they're doing it. And that's all you can ask of them. You know, uh, Isaiah Coe and Savion Bird didn't make this schedule, right? They're just going out there and playing the dudes that are in front of them, and they're doing a great job of doing it. So, And frankly, uh, a couple, jokes that they didn't make this schedule either because the Georgia game was taken off of it too. It's like yeah. he has no say in the conference play and the non-con he had to – it was supposed to be Georgia. You remember my lead on the SMU game. <laughs> that Thank Good God they were busy. Georgia was busy. <laughs> Not bad at all that Georgia was uh, was tied up for this one. Yeah, that if that had if that game had stayed in place, you got the two time defending national champs coming to Norman, Oklahoma in week two. I think it might have looked a little different, Ryan. Just a tad, just a tad. Just, yeah, that would have been fun though. What a great cover! What a great great game to cover that would have been. Gosh, dang! Oh, well, we've got a, we got a couple of those next year. I'm already on yeah, the, like uh, three, like three. I know, right? Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, a couple of red flags, Ryan. We've talked about the running game ad nauseum. Let's let's move on. Uh, red zone defense OU is tied for 109th, and let's call it what it is. Penalties per game, Oklahoma is tied for 100th in the nation. Penalty yards per game, 114th. How much of a concern is that for you moving forward into Big 12 play when you've played uh, three, rum, three rum drums? Yeah, I, let's start with the red zone defense. Um, I think that that matters of what your barometer was coming into the year. Because if you're expecting Oklahoma to be like a top 30 defense, then yes, all the red flags. But we've said this a ton. If Oklahoma jumps 60 spots in total defense, they will be the number 62 total defense in the country. Like that's where this unit was coming from. And while total defense, the percentage is figured just by, did you get stops? Oklahoma has gotten a couple of field goal stops in the red zone, which doesn't really show up in that total defense or the red zone defense percentage. Um, And that was not the case last year. Last year, every time a team got to the red zone, they were scoring a touchdown. So I do think that that is some improvement, but they've got a long way to go to be an elite unit. And I just don't think they're going to get that this year. Flip over to the penalties. That is something like last year, Oklahoma finished middle of the road in penalties but it felt like every single flag came at the absolute most backbreaking critical time for Oklahoma. Yeah. I think early on against Arkansas state, most of those penalties were like a team that was coming out of camp wanting to be super aggressive. And then from there, it feels like you've had a couple of face mask stuff like that. If they can fix that during the year, then I, I think all the penalties they have are fixable penalties. It's not like, guys just getting roasted off the line of scrimmage and they're having to hold. It's just, why did you hold here? It was unnecessary, but we didn't really see that improve last year. So that's something to monitor. I'm not as worried about the penalties right now, but I do have an eye on it. If it doesn't dip down as play goes on the red zone defense, I I think that the first building block is you go from giving up touchdowns, giving up field goals, and then you force stops all together in the red zone. Okay. You want to, uh, you want to go over uh, the Cincinnati offense um, briefly. Um, I, I mentioned it yesterday on the Brent Venables uh, press conference wrap, and that is uh, Emory Jones is their quarterback. Emory Jones is a familiar name from Oklahoma's recent past. In 2020, he played in the Cotton Bowl. 
against the Sooners. He was the backup to Kyle Trask. After Trask threw all those early interceptions, Emory Jones came in and kind of stabilized things a little bit. Ended up leading the team in rushing that day, scored a touchdown and had 60 yards on the ground, also threw for like 80, 86 yards, uh, and then transferred, and then transferred again. Um, now he's at Cincinnati of all places, and he's going to face the Sooners one more time. Ryan, he's a uh, he, he's a handful. Athletically speaking, this guy's hard to corral. Yeah, and and he's the second leading rusher right now in a, in a rushing attack that's been really explosive. Him and Corey Kiner, the running back out of the backfield, as well as Ryan Montgomery, that they're kind of change of pace back, their number two guy. They, they form a really, really potent rushing attack. I think the book on Emory Jones has always been, if you can keep him in the pocket, that the accuracy just isn't there at the elite level, and that's what you want to see. And if you go back and you look in that overtime, that, that crucial play where Emory threw a terrible pick, he could have walked in for a touchdown if he had the awareness to exit the pocket, flush out to the right, and he probably just would have might have had to stiff arm a guy across the goal line, but he would have had it there. So Oklahoma, but to get to that point, they have to stop the run. If Oklahoma doesn't stop the run, if, if they can't contain Kiner, then Emory Jones is going to have everything at his disposal, get that thing going. If not, if Oklahoma can bottle that up, get them into third and long, then I think as long as they're disciplined in the pass rush lanes, they can keep him in the pocket and really get to work from there because he will throw it to the other team. It's kind of why uh, he was benched at Arizona State last year. And so I, that's a big if, though, because remember, we got through the non-conference slate last year, and Adrian Martinez, who similarly coming into that game, Adrian Martinez is not a good quarterback. I stand by Adrian Martinez is not a good quarterback, and he made Oklahoma's defense look silly because they couldn't tackle him and they let him stand in there with plenty of time to deliver strikes to the tight ends over the middle so i i think that this is a big moment where they can show growth because i i would have classified jones and martinez similarly as like yeah they're really athletic and that's their danger i am mm -hmm. not scared of either of those guys and martinez shredded oklahoma and and i think he showed the rest of the year that until he got hurt he ain't that guy dude yeah that's a great comparison uh, that Adrian Martinez came in and had literally hit the best game of his five-year career and had it against Oklahoma in Norman. So that's that was a red flag for this uh, Brent Venables defense last year. If they can show against this guy that they've, uh, that they've kind of fixed some of those issues, those rush lane issues, those taking on, uh, taking on outside blockers, kick out blocks, for instance, with your inside shoulder instead of your outside, getting tied up and having a guy slip right past you without even offering any resistance. That happened about four times last year with Adrian Martinez in his backfield. Um, I don't know too much about Kiner, six yards of carry, but uh, that tells you that he's doing something right. Um, they've played a pretty easy schedule as well, Cincinnati has. But the, I, I say that, and they're two and one. So little bit of a little bit of a shocker. Um. Yeah, Pitt Pittsburgh was a game on their schedule, Ryan, where it looked like okay, Cincinnati Pittsburgh. That's going to be a showdown, throwdown. Pittsburgh obviously is not that team either. West Virginia kind of cleaned their clocks last week as well. So, what do we know about any of these teams, Ryan? Except Miami, Ohio is off. Obviously, uh, all that maybe. Parody, parody. Welcome to the portal era. Well, also, yeah. I think you're seeing. I'll be interested to kind of go through the rest of the year. I think you might see college football come back down to, yes, there is parity because of the portal, but some of these schools that popped up not having a billion COVID seniors, I think you're going to see kind of a, a return to the order of like, is there more parity than 
the early 2000s, yes. But at the end of the day, the more talented teams are the more talented teams. And we don't have seventh-year guys on the rosters to outfox some of these true freshmen and true sophomores that are more talented. That's where I, I think you're going to see that level out a little bit. And Cincinnati, really, like coming into the year, John, we didn't know how to handicap this game because Cincinnati yeah. has a whole new roster, basically. And, and I think that this being game four, I still don't have a great handle on what the Bearcats are other than looking at and saying they've run the ball really well. And I know that defensive line is good. Xavier Henderson is your uh, ace wide receiver. He's your WR1 there uh, for the Bearcats. He's a guy that's uh, – he's got twice as many catches as the next guy. So he's your – he's definitely your – your wide out one. Um, and by the way, how cool is this? He spells his name with both an, both an X and a Z. X Xavier Henderson. So that's cool. He's got points on my list already. Yeah, I I, I think this will be the first real test for Oklahoma secondary as far as I like Preston Stone. I like Jordan Hudson. I was kind of underwhelmed with the rest of the SMU offensive operation. Like we said earlier, we'll we'll learn a lot more this week. They play TCU and we're trying to get our hands around what anyone is. Uh, They've at least got some bigger bodies to, to, to deal with. I I think Satterfield, like I know Satterfield's a good offensive coach. (laughs) Offense hasn't really blown me away through the passing game. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. But one thing to monitor if uh, Justin Harrington is not going to be a go, Peyton Bowen playing Cheetah, sounds like Reggie Pearson, he was list, labeled as hopeful for Brent Venables in the press conference on Tuesday. What does that mean? DeSama Cole was hopeful to play last week. He did not. So I, I don't know if that means he'll play or not. If Oklahoma is down some bodies on the back end, that might be – Ginger Williams has had what's, to my eyes, not reporting, my eyes look like a couple of stingers the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if Oklahoma is down to – can I Walker and key Lawrence and Robert Spears Jennings, and they're not full strength, not able to rotate as much as the secondary going to wear it down throughout the, I just think something to monitor. That's the, uh, that's what I wanted to finish with Ryan was injuries. Uh, some bad news for Jaden Rowe this week, uh, dislocated kneecap. He's out for the season. He's going to get surgery on Tuesday. That's confirmed. Uh, and then Brent Venables said, uh, I mean, Brent went down the list, the long list of injuries, Ryan, um, said he's hopeful on most of them. But uh, Phil Pachotti, for instance, the freshman linebacker who really hasn't, you know, played. I, I don't know if he's gotten snaps. I don't think he's gotten snaps yet. I think he was on target to redshirt anyway. Uh, but you hate to hear that for a kid uh, coming in from, you know, New Jersey uh, via IMG in Florida. He's, he's away from home. Probably not going to be a big issue. But now all of a sudden you're not even practicing because of an injury. That's tough for a young man to, to kind of compartmentalize that and push through and, you know, now you're all by yourself in your rehab lane, right? And you're doing your own thing and nobody's – you're not getting that that constant feedback or that constant support or interaction. It's a tough, tough thing for a young man, for, for a young player for sure. But uh, uh, both those guys are going to have season-ending surgery, Venable said. And then um, there's some other guys that he's hopeful about this week. Yeah, I believe the list was Savion Bird, Reggie Pearson, R. Mason Thomas, uh, Dasan McCullough feel like there was another in there we've done this a couple of times but um those are the guys that are hopeful and then justin harrington i'm not expecting to see justin harrington anytime soon when you go out to practice you still see it's a massive like full leg wrap on his left leg it was a massive brace he traveled to tulsa as moral support 
But Brent Venables said that, uh, paraphrase, and they're exploring some different options for Harrington. Didn't sound like he's slated to return anytime soon. When you start talking about a senior and you're exploring options, you start talking about, you know, how, how, how convinced are you that you want to play, that you want to try and play in the NFL, right? Um, if you don't want to do that or if you think you got no shot or if you think this knee injury has wrecked that, then you might consider playing, you know, rehabbing what you can and trying to play some more this year, later in the season. Uh, some other options are, you know, getting the surgery and getting it done now and getting ready for the NFL draft. Because I think Justin's a guy that uh, you put him in the right system, you put him in, in with the right coaches. I think he's a guy that can impact the NFL draft, can impact an NFL team. Um, he's a very gifted guy, and he's a very driven guy, and he's a very positive, relentlessly positive guy. I think that's going to carry him a long way in life. So uh, whether it's in football or coaching or somewhere else, in the kitchen um, with his uh, with his that's food right empire. That's right. Yeah, he, he could be uh, – He who knows where it's going to take him. But hopefully he gets back because <clears throat> everything that he's been through, a junior college guy that when he got here his knee was already wrecked and he didn't even know it. So they had to, to have surgery. Uh, under Grinch, he didn't like what was going on there, so he enters the transfer portal. Venables comes in. He returns and says, Coach, can I please come back? Okay, but you got to do X, Y, Z, and A, B, C every day. Okay, no problem. He tells – Brent Venables every day. Hey, coach, thanks for bringing me back. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for the opportunity. He's somebody that just carries himself with a great amount of gratitude and uh, thankfulness everywhere he goes. And you, you just freaking hate to see somebody like that who finally has a starting position, finally has a, a, a direction in college football. And, you know, what's what happens to him? Second game, he gets hurt. And it's like, gosh, dang it. Yeah, and he doesn't have enough tape to get drafted. I just don't think he has enough no. tape at all. So you'd have to be a combine guy, plus, super plus the out there. File. Medical file plus no tape, you, yep. you're immediately to undrafted free agent. So I don't know if the hardship waiver is an option, but it just doesn't feel like Justin Harrington will be a factor this year at this point. Yeah, hopefully he can get back on the field. Uh, at some point, whether that's this year or uh, in the future, he might need a couple of years to rehab that thing and get himself right. It's happened before. Um, it could happen again. He could be one of those dudes that kind of comes out of nowhere and has a nice little NFL career. I think he's athletic enough and smart enough uh, football-wise to be able to do that. Uh, anything else we're missing, Ryan, about this game or the TU performance or what's coming down the pike? No, I just – I just think it's a uh, – I know the Miami of Ohio loss took some shine off it, but Eddie and I were talking this morning, and totally agree with Eddie. It, it's a huge game to show if you want to really prove things are different this year, it didn't start with game one, game two, or game three. I know things got tight in the fourth quarter against SMU, and Oklahoma responded with scoring 14 straight and a dominant defensive performance after giving up the touchdown. But you want to prove things are different – you go handle a Cincinnati team you're better than on the run. Go do it. Let's see it. Yeah, this team's got still got some things to prove. And uh, we'll say it again. The schedule um, makes you have to prove it every week. And not in a tough way like you got to roll up your sleeves. It's, okay, you haven't beaten anybody. It's a, it's a totally different vibe because usually the schedule is good enough that it proves who you are. This schedule hasn't done that yet for Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma, I think there's there's some progress. I think there's a lot of 
uh, heading in the right direction. There's a lot of red, what used to be red flags that are now green flags, but uh, there's still a long way to go. Long way to go. Nine games, like Brent Venable says all the time, nobody around here is beating their chest. So uh, he's probably emphasizing that again this week. Uh, cool story, by the way, at allsooners.com on uh, Drake Stoops. I caught Bob talking yesterday about uh, – he got a question from Teddy Lehman on his radio show about uh, going back to Ohio. You're going to have a bunch of family there. And Bob's like, yeah, man, I got more than 40 tickets. <laughs> so uh, there, and he said that uh, most of the family that's up there in Ohio has not seen Drake play. And Drake said, yeah, most of those guys have not seen me play. So I'm real excited about it. So how cool would that be? Drake Stoops goes out there and has puts on a show and scores a couple of touchdowns or something for all the family in the uh, in the stands at Nipper Stadium. Like Forty tickets, that's a lot. Big contingent, but I think Bob can I think Bob's got the resources to wrangle it. <laughs> Probably so. Good stuff, Ryan. Thanks for jumping on, man. Absolutely. We'll see ya. Coming up next on the show, Randall Sweet's gonna jump in. He's gonna talk OU recruiting. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Okay, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Remember, guys, if you like the podcast, go ahead and like it. Drop us a nice rating. Five-star ratings are what we really appreciate. So give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, You can also like us and share us on social media. I can't express to you how helpful that is when someone else, other than the the All Sooners family, shares us on social media and says, uh, listen to this guy's podcast. They do a great job, whatever. Whatever comment you like, if you hate us, Go ahead and tell us that you hate us, but share us on social media. Get the word out there that there's a good another good OU podcast, and uh, we'll appreciate it very much. And, of course, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Leave us a comment there. We might reply occasionally, sometimes. All right, segment three, and uh, we have brought in Randall Sweet to help us dive into the world of recruiting. But first, I want to get Randall's thoughts on where the Sooners are right now, they're number 16 in the polls. They're 3-0 and on the season. Uh, they've beaten three, as we said in the first two segments, three bad teams. Not really 100% sure how good this Oklahoma team is yet, but, uh, but Randall, they're going on the road to open Big 12 conference play, a new Big 12 opponent in Cincinnati. Let's get the, the elephant out of, in the room out of the way, and that is your first big road trip covering college football. You're going to the Queen City, one of uh, America's finest old cities. Uh, it's it's a fantastic place. I've been there several times. You've never been there. Tell me about how excited you are to get on a plane and get off somewhere else in uh, in greater Midwest America. I'm really excited. I mean, of all the places for my first, you know, true road trip to be, Cincinnati, like you mentioned, is a great destination. I mean, there's a lot of random towns in college football. Not that those towns aren't great, but uh, Cincinnati, I think, is a great, great place to go for my first time, and uh, I'm excited to try the food there. I mean, I know, I know, you've talked about a few restaurants uh, that uh, you, Ryan, and I are definitely going to be uh, visiting. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see what that's all about. Spaghetti and chili, I, I hear, is a combination there. So intrigued, uh, intrigued. Yeah, but it's it's not real chili. Oh, okay. It's Cincinnati chili. I, so I'm, I'm still interested. Still interested. Oh, it's hey, listen. It's fantastic. I hear people saying they're not going to do chili and they hate chili and they, this chili on spaghetti and there's no chi- What's with the cheddar cheese? And blah, blah. You've got to reset the way you think about chili when you go to Cincinnati. Ch- the, the chili you're going to get in Cincinnati is not deep south Texas, five-star chili, four-alarm fire chili. It's not any of that. It's not even close to that. It's, it's a little more soupy. Okay. 
and it's got some cinnamon. It, the thing, the wow. the image that comes to mind when I think of Skyline Chili, I don't know why, but the word brown comes to mind. Okay. Okay, so it's a it's a tomato based chili. It's it's tasty. It tastes different. It doesn't taste like regular chili, man. So go in there with an open mind. Yeah. And I, that's the that's the main thing is if you're if you like New York pizza. Don't go to Chicago and say, I want New York pizza. Go to Chicago and have Chicago pizza, right? So that's what this is. Don't go in there and say, this is not real chili. It's Cincinnati chili. Just embrace it. Lean into it and enjoy it. You're, I think you're going to dig it. I think you're going to dig it. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I'm excited to try it. I'm, uh, I feel like I have a pretty open mind uh, when it comes to food. So I, I'm very, very excited. There you go. All right. And I'm going to take you to, I was looking at this Italian place. I'm not going to tell y'all what it is until I get back. <laughs> Cause I don't want to have to wait two hours for a table. Once I tell y'all that my recommendation, but it is, uh, it is amazing. It goes back to the uh, early turn of the turn of the previous century, the 1900s. Uh, trying to think, Oh, Marilyn Monroe has eaten there. Frank Sinatra has eaten there. Gangsters used to eat there. So, uh, man, I'm getting excited just thinking about this Italian place. Anyway, here we go. Um, recruiting. It is 1230-ish on uh, Wednesday. And in about six hours from this moment, Danny Okoye, Tulsa, Noah, defensive end, edge rusher, four-star, uh, best player in the state, Six hours from now, he's going to announce his school. He's going to make his decision. He's going to commit. We on the All Sooners podcast are like many others. We think it's going to be Oklahoma. We're not predicting it. I guess we could predict it. I predict it'll be Oklahoma. We're not reporting it. We're not sitting here saying he's definitely coming to Oklahoma. That's that's not what we're doing. We're predicting that that's, what's, that's what he's going to do. Uh, I'll be there in Bixby tonight because it's right down the road from my house. And we'll have a video up. We'll have an interview with Danny. We'll we'll have a story ready to go. But uh, what do you think? Um, we can't dive into it too much because if he does a little switch about and, and picks a different school, then we're standing here talking about Danny Okoye going to Oklahoma when six hours later he's changed his mind or something. What do you think? What What do you think is going to happen, Randall? Well, I, I agree with you, and I think that I, I would predict that it's Oklahoma, but again, not reporting. I'm not sitting here saying that I know or I I absolutely think that's what's going to happen. I think that that's the most likely situation right now. Um, if there were a challenger out of his uh, you know, top three schools, I think um, the biggest one would be Texas. I mean, given where they are in the rankings right now, obviously what they've you know done this season, um, you know, that could be huge on swaying a high school kid. But uh, I think that you know, given the relationship that OU has built with him and, you know, continue to develop with him even into the regular season, even into OU's regular season. Um, I think that uh, OU is definitely going to, I think that OU is most likely going to be the choice tonight. Um, and I think that uh, he's going to be a huge addition if he does pick OU. I think he would be a huge addition to a defensive line group that already has David Stone, that already has Nigel Smith, you know, a few other really talented recruits. I mean, with, if you look at Smith, Okoye, and Stone, that's three top 100 defensive linemen, you know, on the same class. Now, I know the OU fans might be upset that, you know, they didn't get Dominic McKinley or if they don't end up, if Williams and Winery doesn't end up committing to Oklahoma. 
um, you know, obviously he's committed to Missouri now. If that stays, um, that stands pat, then I think that getting three top 100 defensive linemen, regardless of not having those two in the class, is still a huge win uh, and something that we probably wouldn't have seen uh, from this from an OU recruiting uh, class a few years ago. Um, so heading into the SEC, you need guys like that. You need those big athletic defensive linemen. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I think getting three of those top 100 would be a phenomenal get for, for an Oklahoma defense that has ranked consistently in the 80s and 90s and 100s and 120s uh, in total defense, NCAA total defense in the last decade or so, decade and a half even now. Um, so, so, yeah, that would be huge for Brent Venables' uh, second full recruiting class. Last year's class ranked, I think, top four in the country. This one's trending toward, if they're able to pick up a couple more guys, trending toward that top five, top ten for sure. I think they're, what, number nine right now or something like that, depending on who you follow. Um, so uh, that's, uh, that's within the 2024 class, and that's obviously that's defensive line. Um, again, we'll be there at uh, in Bixby at Danny Okoye's commitment. So if you're listening to this before 6.30, check out allsooners.com for the latest coverage there. Um, offensive line is somewhere, Randall, that Oklahoma has tried to increase or improve its standing in terms of just landing four stars and five stars. But it's been tough. Bill Biedenboe has, has found himself developing a lot of low four stars, high three star type guys over the years. Um, but this recruiting cycle 2024 could change some of that a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I think that, you know, right now there's uh, three offensive linemen that OU's really in play for. Um, one who has a commitment date set, and that's Daniel Akinkunmi from uh, the NFL Academy in London. Uh, he's set to commit on October 12th, which is uh, the week of after OU Texas. Uh, OU has a bye that week. Uh, and I think that right now it seems really positive for him uh, to, I think OU fans should feel really positive uh, about where he sits with OU. I think that, um, you know, when he came to, on his official visit against Arkansas State, obviously OU put their best foot forward that weekend. I mean, he was there with a bunch of other recruits, but they still made him feel like a priority. Uh, you know, he posted repeatedly throughout his trip. Uh, it seemed like he had a really good time from just from reading the social media posts. Right. And obviously when you go watch the team that you're there to see win 73 to zero, it's going to you know leave a bit of an impact on you. Uh, I think that was the first college football game he's been to uh, in mm. America. I know for sure it's his, the first Oklahoma game he's been to. Um, and so the atmosphere there, I'm sure, had a big impact on him. And it seems like uh, after that, we've seen the flurry of predictions come in, predicting him to commit to OU. I think that um, that's the most likely scenario right now. Uh, which would be a gr- great get for Bill Biedenboe. He, I think, I think I can come. He's a three-star, but I think a lot of that might have to do do with um, just the competition he plays and it being really hard to you know, see the film and really get access to watching his games. You know, yeah. obviously you can watch his huddle, but that's highlights. That's going to be the best, right. and so it's hard to really evaluate off of that, especially when you don't really know um, the level of competition he's playing. Uh, it, it's it's it just creates a lot of obstacles, um, and it could. Um, that could be a reason why maybe he's underrated, uh, but he's got a pretty good offer list. I know Clemson's on there, a few other uh, really good programs. So getting him um, would be a huge get for Bill Biedenboe and OU. Um, I think he's the most likely 
uh, offensive lineman that they added to the 2024 class. Obviously, they're still in in, uh, in the mix for Grant Bricks and for um, Eddie Pierre-Lewis. Um, but right now, Pierre-Lewis seems like he really likes UCF. Um, and, you know, being from Orlando, it might be hard to pull him away mm-hmm. from UCF. Uh, obviously, OU's uh, still in the fight, and they'll have a shot to play UCF, which maybe, uh, maybe that... Uh, that gives them an upper hand, but again, I think that right now uh, OU's second place in that race. Uh, and Grant Bricks, it's really hard to tell. Uh, it seems like at one point maybe OU was in the lead, um, but now it seems like they're really in a fight with uh, multiple other schools: Nebraska, Kansas State. Uh, you know, just some programs uh, in that area where he's from. Uh, and you know, th- those teams, you know, the Kansas States, stuff like that. They've they've produced offensive linemen, so it's not like OU's recruiting against a bunch of nobodies uh, in that. Re- that race either so they're gonna have to do their work uh, if they do want to uh, end up with grant bricks but i still think that they're in a solid position coming down the stretch to do that i, I don't think that anything's been decided yet but i think they definitely have a puncher's chance in that one the tricks with bricks see what i did there is um he's he's the way i understand it i've never met him i don't know him but uh he's a great plains kind of guy you know what i mean culturally family wise uh historically he loves being from that area he's very prideful for about where he's from and uh when you talk about nebraska and you talk about kansas state you're talking about uh, a couple of uh a couple of programs in the agricultural belt so to speak he's from where iowa right so uh he is from iowa right yes but he's from right on the border of nebraska and Iowa. yeah so yeah, right across, right across from Omaha. So, right, right. Um, yeah, so that's that's something I've always felt like that was a little bit of a tough pull for Oklahoma, just because it's further away from home, right? But it's also further away from the lifestyle that he's kind of grown up in, and and sometimes guys want to get out of that lifestyle, and sometimes guys are like, no, that's who I am. I need that around me. So, we'll yeah. see. I think I think that one thing that you mentioned that's key is being close to home. I think, uh, again, from, like you said, from what I understand, I think that that is a big factor in his recruitment. I think he wants to be close to home. Um, and not that Oklahoma is across the country, but you know, Nebraska, Kansas state, it's a lot closer than, than normal. Let's see. Has there been an example lately of a, of an athlete from that area who came to Oklahoma and wanted to get back to, yeah, maybe, maybe some softball player. I can't quite remember. Oh, yeah. Um, I heard she was pretty good. I heard she was pretty good. I heard she was pretty good. Hopefully we get to see her next spring uh, pitching against the Sooners. That would be fun to see Jordy Ball pitching against Oklahoma. Um, okay. Although I don't know how much fun that would be for Patty Gasso. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, back to football. Um, what do we know about Terry Bussey and his um, number number one athlete, ATH, number one athlete in the um, in the country, arguably, um, has been strongly considering Oklahoma, but it doesn't look like he's that's trending that way anymore. Yeah, uh, so like you mentioned, number one athlete in the country. I mean, this guy is extremely versatile from quarterback, receiver. I mean, I think last year he led his team in passing, rushing, and receiving yards, which is insane. <laughs> uh, Timpson High School in Texas right now, they're ranked, I think, the number one <laughs> 2A team in the state of Texas. So, again, uh, great player. Uh, and like you mentioned, uh OU's been in the mix, but it doesn't seem like they'll be the end result. But they continue to, you know, throughout his recruitment, when even when it didn't seem like they were the lead candidate, they continue to stick around. Um, you know, he's been 
to Norman for a game day this season. I can't remember if it was SMU or Arkansas State, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he was here for one of those two. Uh, he's been he was in Norman over the summer. Uh, so this is a guy who's you know said that he enjoys Norman. He likes the the atmosphere and things like that. Um, I think that it's going to be hard to wrestle a guy from Timpson, East Texas, away from Texas A&M and UT. Um, those really seem like the leaders right there right now. And I, I don't know uh, if the people, how many people listening to this know Texas geography, but um, East Texas, Timpson is a lot closer to College Station A&M than, than um, Norman. Um, so, so again, maybe being close to home is a factor. We know A&M has a deep NIL bag. Um, you know, they recruit really well every year. So that's, that's going to be a hard team to pull him away from. But, I mean, if they can do that, then it would be really intriguing because he's probably a receiver in college. Um, and we know that this 2024 OU receiver class is already really, really deep. Um, so that that would be remarkable if they if they were able to land a commitment from him. But right now it seems like uh, Texas and Texas A&M are kind of battling it out. Uh, yeah. yeah. It sounds like Emmett Jones has kind of moved on from that uh, that particular recruitment as well. So. Uh, he's got he's got some dudes. Emmett Jones has got some dudes lined up. Um, someone else who's got some dudes is Jeff Lebby. He's got a 23 quarterback who's tearing it up right now at, at OU. Uh, he's got two 24 quarterbacks, so he's having to figure that out uh, as as the season goes on. One he's got a 25 quarterback committed in Kevin Sperry, who is four and zero as the starting quarterback at uh, Carl Albert, and uh, he's got a 26 quarterback. Committed, kind of, Randall, almost. Well, they they offered, they made an offer to their. Uh, yeah, not committed, not committed. I meant offered. I apologize. My 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 mouth gets in front of my brain sometimes. They they made an offer to their first quarterback in the twenty twenty six cycle, which um, you know, is is a big deal. The quarterback position is not one where we usually see a laundry list of offers like at other positions. Um, yep. You know, usually, usually coordinators and coaches identify their guys really early in the process and they offer those guys. And, you know, at the quarterback position, only one guy can play unless you're Oklahoma state. Then. So, <laughs> so most of the time you're only recruiting one guy out of each class. You're not offering as many. So to be the first quarterback to get an offer is a big deal. That means that they've identified you early as a guy that they really, really like. Um, but legend. Having Bay, said all that. Yeah. Having said all that. Legend Bay, the the quarterback that that um, Jeff Levy and OU offered in the 2026 class, looks like maybe he's going to play receiver, to, uh, running back in college. Um, he's 5'10", 175 pounds right now as a sophomore in high school. Could grow, again, only a sophomore in high school, but 5'10 right now. Uh, versatile athlete. I mean, the, the moves that he can pull off as a ball carrier, spin moves, cuts, are really, really um, – remarkable for a quarterback i mean it looks like if if you go watch our man parker thune's video on twitter he spun out of a tackle in the backfield and you'd, you'd think it was lamar jackson it's really impressive um again I'm not, I'm not saying he is lamar jackson but that spin move specifically looked like a play lamar jackson would make uh, anyway the the thing that leads me to believe that maybe he's not going to play quarterback at ou is that in the picture he posted uh when he got offered uh, it was with emmett jones not jeff levy uh, obviously, Emmett Jones is the receivers coach, and that, that may just be coincidence because that's who was available to take the photo or that's who his primary recruiter is. Um, but I, I do think it's telling that um, Emmett Jones is kind of doing a lot of the legwork on that recruitment rather than Jeff Levy. I think that yep. if it was a quarterback, then maybe it would be Jeff Levy kind of taking the lead on that. 
Um, and so I think that that's a pretty solid indicator that maybe Legend Bay is going to, at least in OU's mind, be a receiver, running back, something like that at the next level. But um, again, time will tell. Still got a few years in high school. And again, this is a guy who's going to rack up a lot of offers. So OU's got to put in a lot of work to even land a commitment from Bay. Um, but right. explosive athlete uh, at a Mesquite Horn High School in Texas. Um, so uh, obviously you identified him early. They're interested. He's been to Norman uh, this season also. So he there's obviously some mutual interest there. Yeah, my apologies to the viewer for uh, misspeaking. When I say commitment, I meant offer. So, whoops, didn't uh, – at least I didn't say signed. I say that from time to time. About, oh, they signed a guy. No, they got a commitment from a guy, dummy. Uh, but the dude's name is Legend. Let's uh, let's see if uh, – it's always fun to write about people like General Booty and Legend Bay. What if, what if I had a quarterback named Legend Booty? <laughs> Combining a few of the uh, potential yeah. roster. Yeah, players. that'd be fun. Um, okay, so that's kind of wrapping up. Uh, that's kind of wrapping up where OU stands recruiting wise. Uh, again, we'll we'll just preview real quick. Danny Okoye, number one player in the state of Oklahoma, is making his call tonight, and he's going to play in the SEC next year. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't know if it's going to be at Tennessee, at Texas, or at Oklahoma. Those are his top three. So that could be. I'm I'm looking for. Um, has he said a couple times getting fitting to shock y'all or getting ready to shock y'all or something like that could be uh, surprising. So we'll see. I'm not ruling, I'm not ruling anybody out, but I'm really not ruling Tennessee out. Yeah. I, again, we, we know that the NIL um, bag at Tennessee uh, runs pretty deep as well. This is a team that was really solid last year. Um, you know, as solid SEC team, again, with a deep NIL bag, it's a team you can never rule out in recruiting. Yeah. Uh, all right, Randall, let's get your thoughts on uh, Sooners at number 16 in the polls, 3-0 and on the season, playing an easy schedule, kicking everybody's butt. Covered three times. Good teams win. Great teams cover. So they're, uh, they're a great team right now. What are your thoughts on how Oklahoma has started this thing? I, I think that, like you acknowledged, the three teams they've played have not been um, what, they, what they will play, obviously, this year in the Big 12 or obviously next year in the SEC when the schedule gets much tougher. But – um, you can only play who's on your schedule. And so far, um, they've taken care of business every time. Uh, SMU, I know Ryan mentioned uh, in our post-game podcast, it was a little hinky. But they, like you said, uh, they covered. They got the job done. Their defense looked really solid in that game. Even when they, they made a few mistakes on defense uh, throughout the season, they've, uh, they've turned around. They've recovered really well. Um, and I think that regardless of who the competition is, it has to be acknowledged that they've looked two out of the three weeks, they've looked really, really good. Um, and I think that, um, I think that 16 right now is appropriate because uh, I think as you would say, Brent Venables isn't beating his chest. They, um, they haven't beaten anyone that, that is, uh, up to the standard that OU is, or at least that OU wants to be. Um, and so I think that before we can justify them raising much higher in, in the polls, we would need to see, uh, you know, them take on some of that conference uh, competition and kind of handle business as they should against a team like Cincinnati that lost to Miami of Ohio last week or against a team like Iowa State that's missing, obviously, a lot of uh, what we thought they would have coming into the year, lost to Ohio last week. Um, those are two teams that OU should be able to handle, uh, even if Cincinnati is on the road. Um, and if, if they can go in, they can handle two conference opponents, uh, then heading into Texas, I think that OU fans uh, should feel excited about a big 
uh, matchup between two teams that'll really, um, I think it'll really be a good indicator of where they both sit uh, right now in the college football landscape. Yeah, I agree. Good stuff. Uh, one thing that I, I was going through the stats earlier, one thing that I didn't mention is that Oklahoma ranks number one in the country, number one in scoring margin. So uh, I told you guys after the Tulsa game, OU's got to lead the nation in scoring margin right now, 66-17 and 73 nothing. What that tells you is they're getting their job done. Right. They're not having the little snafus and the little foibles that were uh, that were holding them back last year. Good teams, bad teams, doesn't matter. You play against yourself, and if you play to a level, you play to a standard, and you're able to execute 66 points on the scoreboard or 73 points on the scoreboard, or you're able to average just what is they averaging, something like uh, 7, uh, 34, 10 points a game right now, uh, something like that. So uh, they're averaging on defense. So they are just crushing people's souls. They're ripping their souls out right now, and, and – and, um, that's something that you want if you're going to be a championship contending team. So they've made those strides. Now, as the schedule gets better, as the opposition gets a little bigger and faster and stronger and more intense, more better, whether it's better coached or more uh, intentionally schooled or whatever you want to say it, um, it is incumbent on Oklahoma to continue that upward trend. They don't have to continue to beat people 66-17, but they do have to continue – to execute in the red zone, execute on third down, knock field goes through when the time comes. Uh, don't miss tackles. Don't miss blocks. Don't miss assignments. Don't miss calls from the sidelines. That's the part that's gotten cleaned up to me, Randall. Yeah, I agree with you. And hey, if, if they do start beating everyone 66 to 17, then I think that's a pretty good indicator of where they're at. But uh, in, in all reality, I, I agree with you. And I think that like you said, uh, they, they don't need to go in and necessarily blow the doors, you know, every week off every team for us to know that that this team has improved. But they do need to, like you said, show that in those in the in the details, they've improved their not missing tackles. Like you said, not missing blocks, um, just the little things. Uh, and I think that so far, at least, like you said, they've done that. Uh, if they continue to do that against Cincinnati, against Iowa State and especially against Texas, then I think that um then we'll know that, that a lot of those issues have been fixed for real. Yeah, we'll see. We'll know more on Saturday night, that's for sure, Saturday afternoon. Absolutely. Uh, good stuff, Randall. Thanks, man. We'll see you uh, in the Queen City. Yeah, I'm excited. See you there, John. All right. Hey, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. After the game, in the press box, unless they kick us out, uh, that is certified fresh post-game podcast. And then, of course, next Wednesday we'll be back. You can catch all of our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, if you have an Amazon-enabled device. Just say, Alexa, please play that All Sooners podcast. Uh, It's also on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, our shows are all posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.